You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. We're going to be in 1 Peter 5 today. Uh, We're continuing in this book, and at our church we go verse by verse through the Bible, and we come to a passage today that's about pastors. And I I want to go ahead and give you the... Uh, something to guard against. It's going to be easy for you to tune out my preaching today. I know that's normally easy anyway, <laughs> but it's going to be easier today because I realize most of the room is non-pastoral and we have an exhortation from Peter to elders, to pastors. Uh, but I think it's important for us to all uh, see what Peter is saying and understand what good pastors are and what good pastors do so that we can understand our place in the church. And so I want to try to um, put this in perspective for you. I want to begin by showing you a picture, if we could put that on the screen. Um, this is a, uh, look at that strapping young man there. Isn't that, isn't that glorious? I'm just speechless when I look at that picture. Um, so that I'm 21 years old in that picture. Yes, that's me. If you didn't figure it out. Um, I'm 21 years old in that picture. That's a picture from my ordination. Um, my bride of course is beside me. That is our oldest uh, child, Bella. Um, she's 13 now. That's a 13 year old picture. Um, and she was just a couple months old when that picture was taken. Uh, beside me, holding my arm uh, with, with brute strength, is my ordaining pastor, uh, Jerry Duncan, um, who oversaw uh, what we called watch care, um, training, um, just exhortation to uh, be diligent in the office of pastor. I want you to look at that and keep in mind that that's a 13-year-old picture. And then look at me, and I want to remind you that uh, pastor years are kind of like dog years. Uh, 13, I think, equals 26 in pastor years. So um, that's if, you, if you're wondering, that's what pastoring does uh, to you. It makes you old quick, all right? So, um, all right, take that off the screen, please. Um, <laughs> let's look at the Bible instead. Look at verse 1. Uh, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Uh, When I think about my ordination, I think about exhortations like this that are in the Bible. Uh, Peter says, I am a fellow elder, a fellow pastor, and I'm exhorting other pastors to carry out uh, the commands of what pastors are supposed to be, what they're supposed to uh, be and do in the church. And so as we look at this, I want us to have a right, biblical, and healthy theological understanding of what the office of elder is. And so I want to just first address what is an elder. Well, if I could put it as simply as I can, um, it's someone who is mature. The word presbyteros, which is the, the word for elder in Greek here, um, it's where we get the, the word for the, pre, the Presbyterian denomination, just simply means mature. And so the office of pastor is someone who is spiritually mature. Now, I don't think this necessitates that pastors have to be old men. Um, I, I planted this church when I was 25, so I was very young. And by all accounts, I'm still pretty young. It's been 10 years now since our church has been going. I mean, that's still pretty young for a lot of, uh, of my colleagues. But, but I think that what, what we see in Scripture is not an age requirement, but rather a spiritual maturity that's required of pastors, elders. Um, there's some other terms that are used in the Bible to describe this office. One of them is uh, bishop, uh, which is in how it's translated in the King James Version. And the English Standard, which is what I'm uh, usually preaching from, is episkopos. Um, in Greek, it's translated literally as overseer. Um, so if you've read your scriptures, you might remember seeing that word to describe pastor, overseers. 
Uh, there's, now, now, we don't really use bishop today. It's kind of ancient language. Um, it, it comes from a, ra- a Latin root. But if you want to call me Bishop Basham, uh, I'm totally cool with that. I think that sounds cool. I think it's a cool biker name. And so, like, if you want to call me that, I'm not saying you have to. Just going to put that out there, all right? Um, and then the other word that's used commonly is pastor. Um, this isn't in the English Standard Version uh, of the Bible, the translation we use. Um, it is mentioned only, I think, once in the King James translation, but it comes from a Greek word, poimen, which means shepherd. Um, again, from Greek to Latin to English, we have words like bishop and pastor. Um, but what, what it means is overseers, shepherds, and spiritually mature. Those are what those terms mean. And the Bible uses these, all these terms synonymously to describe one office that in the West we commonly refer to as pastors. Now, I think the more biblical term is elder. That's the one that's used more commonly in the Bible. And so, um, but that causes a little bit of confusion because I think in our Western minds, when we hear elder, we think of a, a board full, a boardroom full of like men who have white beards and sitting on thrones or something. And, and so like sometimes at our church, we say, Hey, we, our church has four elders and sometimes people don't know what that means. So you'll hear us use elder or pastor interchangeably. We don't really use Bishop, but again, I'm going to start a campaign to start using that more often because it's biblical. Um, but elders are to be a plurality in the church. Every time the church leadership is mentioned in the New Testament, um, it's mentioned in a plurality. And so every church is supposed to have more than one pastor. Um, And I think the reason for that is so that pastors have pastors. There's supposed to be authority and accountability and responsibility. And so every church um, is, is ruled and led by godly qualified elders. But those elders should never be in a position where they're the lone person in charge. But rather there is a plurality in every New Testament church. Um, just do a, a quick Bible uh, project this week and look through the Bible. And you'll find that all the New Testament churches, when, when uh, Paul tells Titus to go to the island of Crete, he doesn't say find a pastor for the church there. He says appoint elders for the church there. When he calls the church at Ephesus to bring the leaders forward, he says, bring the elders of Ephesus, not the elder of Ephesus. And so it's important for us to see this, that there is always supposed to be a plurality. That's why we emphasize that at our church and we have four pastors, myself, Jeremy, James, and Patrick. Now, additionally, uh, Peter introduces himself as a fellow elder. He's given his kind of credentials, um, the the backing that he needs to exhort pastors. He says, um, a fellow elder, and then he also talks about his apostolic credential when he says that he witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He gives exhortation to the elders. But again, church, listen to me clearly. I don't want you to think that this passage of scripture only applies to pastors. Don't think I'm just preaching to the other pastors of New Heights and you can just kind of like scroll Facebook today and you know, I'll try again next week. All right. This helps you, first of all, to know how you can help your pastors. If you know what your pastors are supposed to be doing in the church, then it helps you help your shepherds. Secondly, um, I'm not naive enough to think that that this is the only church you'll ever be in for the rest of your life. Some of y'all are here for the first time today. Um, Y'all might already be like planning the next church you're going to go to next week because you're like, I ain't sticking around here. Um, That's cool. But like when we select what local church we're going to be a part of, um, that church having godly eldership is super important to that because it's biblical. Um, So this is going to help you in that. And then thirdly, it's going to give you discernment 
in, in who you listen to outside of your Sunday morning church attendance routine. I'm not naive enough to think that the only preachers you hear are the ones that you hear when you come to church on Sunday morning. You go to weddings and hear preaching. You go to funerals and hear preaching. Many of you go to church conferences and hear preaching. Many of you listen to podcasts of other pastors and other churches and all that is well and good. But we need to have discernment on the theology and the doctrine that we are bringing into our souls. And so let me outline what I want to show you in this text. Really just the three exhortations that Peter gives. He tells the elders to shepherd joyfully, eagerly, and gently. Um, and so I want you to see those. And I want to outline what that means. And at each of those, by the way, I'll pause. After I preach on what pastors are supposed to do, I'll tell you if you're not a pastor, what that means for you. What you're supposed to do. And then fourthly and finally, I'll call you to submit humbly. Because this is a call that Peter gives not just to elders, but to Everyone. So let's look at the first one. Shepherd joyfully. I go to a lot of pastors' conferences and have colleagues that pastor. Um, and I've heard several times um, pastors make a joke that goes like this. Ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. And when I hear that joke, I just give them a poker face. And I'm like, you should stop being a pastor. <laughs> because, because ministry doesn't exist if it's not for the people. Right? Um, and, and I've... It's, it's, it reminded me of my son who loves Dad's Famous Nachos. Y'all remember me telling you about that? Dad's Famous Nachos, man, they're, they're good. And, um, but, but what Tava does is he tries to like puff himself up and be tough like Dad because I eat jalapenos on my nachos because I'm tough and manly and stuff, and he wants to be like Dad. And so he's like, can you put jalapenos on mine, Dad? And I learned one time because I put jalapenos on all his nachos, and he like, couldn't eat them all. It was like too much for him. So now he usually, I'll put one chip with one jalapeno on his plate, and he always has to have that one because he wants to be like Dad. He doesn't like it at all. Like, he tells me he loves it. He's like, I love jalapenos. I couldn't even use this illustration in the first service because he was here. Um, I don't want him to know, all right? But, but he's like, I love jalapenos. But he, but he doesn't. And he just, he, just, he just postures himself like he does. And, and when, when I hear pastors with that sentiment, like, yeah, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. I'm like, you should just leave the ministry if you don't love people. Because that is what God has called godly pastors to do. It's like, if you don't like sheep, don't be a shepherd, right? It, it, it should be common sense, but sadly it's not. And Peter says in verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Um, I grew up in Lincoln County, redneck, Appalachia, um, country is all get out. And, and my training in preaching was like, get in the pulpit, no notes, just let her fly, man. Um, literally, like I think my third sermon ever, I preached twice in my life. And I go to this revival just to attend it, thinking I'm going to listen to preaching. The guy gets up and he says, the Lord's going to do this. He's going to, this is bogus, by the way, uh, we'll never do this at our church, but he says, the Lord's going to tell me who's going to preach each night of this revival. And it was night one. And he says, and the Lord is telling me brother will is going to preach tonight. I was like, man, what is happening? So, so I go to Ephesians six and preach on the armor of God. Cause that's six easy sermon points. And I know I can fill time with that. Um, and so that's, that was like the training that I had. Um, that's kind of the background I'm coming out of. But in that culture, what I heard a lot was I would hear preachers get up and they would say, yeah, the Lord's been calling me for a long time. And the Lord was calling me for a long time. And I ran from that call to preach. And they identify themselves like with a Jonah in the Bible. And Jonah is an interesting story. And we see God's sovereignty and all that stuff. But if you are running from the office of pastor, maybe this is you. If you're running from the office of pastor, let me give you advice. Don't become a pastor. 
No one's, no one's making you become a pastor. I mean, look at what this verse says. It says, not under compulsion, but willingly. If you don't want to be in pastoral ministry, you shouldn't be in pastoral ministry. If, if you're in a church where a pastor is not joyfully pastoring, then I'm going to say that church probably isn't that healthy. And let me tell you, I love my job. It is, it is wild to me that I get to do this for my job. Um, pastors are around for the big moments of life. I get to be at weddings, but I also get to be at funerals. I get to see babies um, come in and, and celebrate that. I get to baptize people, graduations. The big moments of life, pastors are there for. Um, and, it, and it calls me to go alongside you, church. And, and I love that. I, some of y'all have let me come like with you to work. I love that. Um, Judah, the other day, asked me what I do for work. And, um, and sometimes I get insulted when people ask me that. But I love it because I'm like, I get to do everything, right? Like he sees me put on a bulletproof vest and go riding around with Kyle. And he sees me put on a suit and go to the funeral home. And he sees me uh, put on that badge and go to the hospital. And he sees all these different things. And so I was trying to explain to him, pastors go a long life with people, um, showing them how to best follow God. And if pastors... If a pastor's calling feels like something to run from, then maybe they should run from it. But what God has worked in my heart, it doesn't come from my own goodness. It comes from a regenerate, born-again heart that all is accomplished by the sovereign spirit of God. But it has worked in me a desire to do this and enjoy it and do it joyfully. In 1 Timothy 3.1, Paul writes in the qualifications of elders, he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The first qualification is that you want to do it, plain and simple. So, so the desire, again, comes from regenerate, regenerate heart, not depravity, but there is a desire there. And look at how Paul described one of the churches he planted, Thessalonica. This is like the pastor's joy. When I talk about pastoring, shepherding joyfully, I love this example. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, by the way, a church that he planted. Um, he says, uh, for what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. If you can, leave that verse up there for me. I want you to look at that verse. What is, what is there to boast about when Jesus comes back, he says? He says, is it not you? Um, my kids and I like to watch this show called Nailed It. Y'all ever seen that show? It's a, it's a baking show, because obviously that's one of my big hobbies. Um, <laughs> but I don't like to bake. Kristen Johnson bakes some great cakes and she can make stuff look so real like this pulpit. She can make this pulpit out of cake and I wouldn't know the real one versus the cake one. Um, it's crazy. And, um, and so what they do on the show is they give them like a challenge of something they're supposed to bake. Um, a cake that's going to look beautiful and realistic and all this stuff. And they bring in amateurs instead of professionals to do it. And they bake, our kids love it because it's, it's just fails. Um, so they try to make this and then it's always terrible and something always goes wrong in the kitchen and they mess it up and everything. And then there comes this time for this big reveal and they have this drum roll and a curtain and the judges come in and they're like, all right, show us what you got. And it's like, and they pull the thing off and then it's like, this big fail. And it's called nailed it. And the irony is they never nail it. They always get it wrong. Um, it's always just like the cakes plopped over or whatever. Um, and, and the idea is that, that Paul is setting up when he's writing to Thessalonica is the big reveal when Jesus comes back. And I, if you could, I want you to imagine that Jesus comes back this morning. Um, it'd probably be great if he does. But let's just pretend he comes through this garage door here. We open up the screen. Jesus shows up. And I'm like, hey, good morning, Jesus. 
This is what we got, right? And I'm like, this is the church. There's more people watching online, like I promise. Um, and and, and I, I want you to imagine, like, what would your Lord's reaction be when he comes and sees New Heights Church? Now, in, in my flesh, I think, man, he's going to see I didn't do what I needed to do. He's going to see, you know, not making eye contact, but those certain people, you know, like, and all their flaws and failures. He's going to see all this. But, but look at what Paul says. He says, what's, what is there? Let me, let me translate into redneck. What is there for me to brag about when Jesus comes back? Is it not you? Look at the next verse. For you are our glory and joy. This is a pastor's heart. You are our glory and joy. Listen to me very closely. New Heights Church, I am so proud of you. I brag about you to Jesus. I brag about you to other people. I'm so proud of you. And I know, I don't want to puff you up too much. I know you've got flaws and failures. But I I think a good, godly pastor's heart is to look at the church that he shepherds and say, this is, this is my boasting. This is my crown of boasting and glory and joy. It is the church. And so when Jesus comes back, I get to present this to him. And I know that, you know, it's, it's nothing um, crazy remarkable, but a pastor's heart is to present that. Now, what's it mean for church members? Those of you who aren't pastors, what's that mean? Well, first of all, I think you should... Uh, by God's word, work hard to foster joy into your pastor's work. Uh, maybe even we have some people visiting from other churches. That's fine. You're, you should try as much as you can to foster joy into the labor of your shepherds. Um, that means that you should love your pastors well, and you should let them love you well. That means you shouldn't be guarded away from them. You should know if, if you're thinking this, let me just kill this misconception right now. You are not a burden to your pastors. Hear me on that. The, the word says that pastors are going to brag about you to Jesus. You're not a burden on them. It is our joy to walk through you or walk with you through the messes of your life. But then also another application for you, non-pastor people in the room. You must be among the shepherds. Now, this doesn't mean perfect attendance. We don't have a little star chart like I had in Sunday school to make sure you don't miss a Sunday. But I think it's crucial to understand what Peter says in verse 2. He, he tells the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is where? It's among you. It's extremely hard to shepherd those, shepherd those that you don't see. And so um, just a, a practical application for you is to make yourselves visible. And that doesn't always mean church, perfect church attendance, but it means make yourselves visible. And, that, and, and the 21st century can mean text messages or Facebook messages or whatever. Um, that can mean making yourselves um, available and visible to your pastors. I have heard time and time and time again, not so much from our church, thanks, thanks be to God, but people leave churches and when they leave the church, they, they don't go for a couple of months and they say, well, nobody checked on me. And, and I'm always just in my soul like, did you check on your church? Did you check on your shepherd? Did you check in with your shepherd? Did you make sure you were among them so they could pastor you well? That's shepherding joyfully. Let's look at shepherding eagerly. Um, it, verse 2 says that um, in the second part of that verse, it says that we are to shepherd not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, 
but eagerly. Um, it, it's interesting. I've been, I've been the pastor of this church for almost 10 years now. And um, not once in the past decade, not even close, have I ever looked at my life and said, you know what? I've made the most profitable financial decision with my career path. <laughs> okay. Now, that's not a complaint about my salary. Y'all take care of me well, and I'm appreciative of that. But I look at my life, and I see that, um, thankfully, by God's sovereign grace, that, that I've not come into this ministry to get rich. But I think what Peter's warning about is that there are those who do. Like when, when I see Kenneth Copeland on TV trying to blow away COVID and you know, send me all your money so I can buy a private jet, I'm just like, man, who are these old ladies like putting money in envelopes and sending it to these guys? Like, I, got, I know some poor pastors y'all should send some money to, right? And, and when I see that, I, I think of verses like this that warn the elder, hey, don't do this for shameful gain. And now this doesn't mean that pastors can't be paid or that they shouldn't be paid. I, I think the Bible makes the case that pastors should be paid, by the way. First Timothy five seventeen says, Let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul's making a case here using um, the Old Testament law. They had a law that they weren't supposed to they weren't allowed to put a muzzle on an ox when they were working in the field because the ox had to get his make his living by working that field, but also eating from that field. Um, fun, fun fact, my name um, literally translated into Ukrainian means ox. And I'm bigger than most Ukrainians. Let's face it, I'm bigger than most people. And I go to Ukraine and introduce myself, uh, uh, and, and I'm saying my name is ox. And, and everyone laughs when I introduce myself. Um, but, but I always identify with this verse because it's what my name means. But the point that Paul's making is that Elders who shepherd well in the church make their living in the church. And that's something that God has ordained and encouraged. But also, the calling comes before the career. I, I, I'm serious in this. Every pastor I know, I, I racked my brain in sermon prep this week. Literally every pastor that I know has, has pastored for free before he's pastored for money. Or for any kind of salary. Um, in our own church, we have two elders, pastors James and Patrick, who pastor for free. They don't get a penny from this church. Um, they give sacrificially to this church and they shepherd uh, for free while working in secular work. And so I think the Bible encourages the church to take care of pastors, to encourages vocational ministry where that is possible and an option, um, but also understanding that we don't do it for shameful gain. But shameful gain isn't just money. It's also, I think, the pursuit of power or influence or padding a resume to move on to a bigger church or whatever it may be. And we don't do that. We don't shepherd for shameful gain. We shepherd eagerly. We shepherd because we love to shepherd, because God has placed this desire in us. Because we, we echo the sentiment of the prophet Jeremiah when he said, If I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. I can't stop doing ministry. I can't stop preaching the gospel because God has birthed in me in this beautiful desire. And I embrace it. Now... Will, what's this mean for me if I'm not going to be a pastor? Well, here's what it means. It means that you should financially support your church. And I'm not going to turn this into a giving sermon. But the functionality of the church depends on the members of the church. 
Uh, we, we function in giving sacrificially, pastors included, by the way. We give sacrificially to the mission of the church to make sure that she functions and exists in the community and carries out outreach, missions, and discipleship as God has called us to. Secondly, it means that you pray for your elders. You pray for your elders to guard themselves against temptation, to fight for power or for shameful gain. And you pray for us to shepherd in a way that's eager and joyful and that we would remain in that. The third thing, uh, the third exhortation is that Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd gently. Now listen, some of y'all have, have probably even experienced this from our pastors, um, but, but many in churches that maybe you've come from or been in before have experienced pastors that have been abusive, have been domineering, um, have been hateful. And I just want to, on behalf of the elders of our church and behalf on all elders, let me apologize for that because the Bible clearly calls us to something different from that. But we are called to be in authority. There's a, there's a Western mindset that all authority is bad. Anybody telling me what to do, that's bad. I'm the director of my own heart. No one else can be. That is a very Western American mindset and it is foreign to the Bible. Peter has told us to submit to the government, to submit in our marriages, to submit in church relationships. And here he tells us to submit to our elders. And by the way, again, the plurality means that pastors are not exempt from that either. But Hebrews 13 tells us to submit. Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That means that I'm going to stand before Jesus one day for the members of New Heights Church and I'm going to give an account to Jesus himself on keeping watch over souls. Like I like this verse when it means I'm the boss as my son likes to say. I tell him to stop saying that all the time. Mike says, you're the boss of New Heights. Like we meet new people and he's like, my dad's the boss at New Heights. I'm like, can you stop saying that to people? Jesus is the boss, son. All right. Now, I could like puff myself up and be like, yeah, I'm the boss until it's like, you're going to have to give an account to Jesus. It's like very few other jobs and careers. Would you, uh, you have to give an account to Jesus for how you've done your job. But then the second half of this verse says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. You see, the benefit is not to the leader. The benefit is to the member. The benefit is to the Christian who joyfully comes into relationship with godly elders and who walk in unity together. Now listen, we all need responsibility, accountability, and authority. And authority comes with the risk of abuse. It just naturally does. But Peter warns in verse 3, the elders to not be domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Many pastors have fallen prey to becoming domineering. And the drive for power and control is a dangerous drug. But many have, have taken the pendulum to the other side and they've said, okay, in the church, to keep pastors from being domineering, here's what we're going to do. We're going to let deacon boards control the church and we're going to let democracy control the church, which is completely foreign to the Bible. The Bible knows nothing of a church vote to pick the carpet collar. All right, that's the, that's the example we always use. The Bible knows nothing of that. The elders are the ones that are leading. And so how do you reconcile those things? Well, we don't need... We don't need less authority for pastors. That's not the solution. The Bible places elders in authority. What you need is more accountability for pastors and pastors who lead alongside the people they're leading. There's a great illustration of this in the news every day right now with President Putin and President Zelensky. 
I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't come up with two more polar opposite leaders, right? You have one leading with an iron fist and vengeance and evil, and you have another leading alongside his people in the trenches with his people. Uh, Zelensky is modeling what good leadership looks like, and that's the kind of eldership that the Bible teaches. The pastors don't sit back and command people. You see, biblical authority doesn't lead by command. Biblical authority leads by example. And that's from the pulpit, and that's also from your home, husbands. You don't lead by commanding others what to do. I mean, I love sitting down with, with couples in premarital counseling because we always talk about submission and, you know, the bride always gets a little squirmy and she's like, I don't know about that. Can you take obey out of our wedding vows? All that stuff. And I love talking about it because there's a huge misconception about what authority and submission looks like. The husband always comes in with his, puff, with his chest puffed out thinking, okay, authority means I get to tell my wife what to do. You're not exercising good biblical authority if you do that. You lead by walking with rather than commanding. Listen how Jesus puts it in Mark 10. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Would you obey Jesus' command? If you're a Christian, I hope you would. But Jesus says, I'm not going to just sit on the throne and command you. Rather, I'm going to get off the throne and put on flesh, incarnational ministry, and I'm going to come and be with you, and I'm going to take your suffering off of you and place it on myself. This is the call of a godly pastor. We shoulder burdens along with you. Don't feel guilty about unloading on your pastors. That's what you're supposed to do. You see, godly leaders don't ask people for their lives. Godly leaders give their lives to their people. We give our lives away. That's how we are called to lead. That's how Jesus led. Verse 4 reminds us of who the boss is. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, elders are always under shepherds of the chief shepherd. We always ultimately and finally submit to Jesus himself. And so the final authority in the church doesn't rest in the elder board, doesn't rest in the deacon board, doesn't rest in the church vote. It rests in Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd. What an awesome title. And so when, amen, Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. And so we submit humbly. Last thing we see is we submit humbly. Again, submission is a key theme of Peter's letter. And he calls us to this submission in verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, is this an address to the youth group of the church? Hey, young people, teenagers, you submit to the older people? I think given the context, and there's some people that take that that interpretation, but I think given the context of of, uh, Peter describing the office of elder, I think what's at play here is him directing the members of the church. He's saying, hey, members of the church, be subject to the elders. Now, is is this just um, something that that we kind of cruise over in scripture? I don't think so. I think that we operate in the knowledge of scripture and theology, and this, of course, should bring us to a place of humility. Look at the second half of verse 5. After he tells us to be subject to the elders, he's addressed elders, he's addressed the younger, which I think is pastors and church members, and then he says, clothe yourselves, look who? All of you. Verse 5, clothe yourselves 
all of you with humility toward one another. So he's done with addressing specific groups in the church. He's saying every Christian, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You cannot be in the family of God. You cannot be a Christian without acknowledging that you suck. That's just the gospel. The the good news only comes in light of the bad news of that you are wholeheartedly insufficient to save yourselves. You have to have humility if you're ever going to be a Christian. You cannot come to Christ proudly. You can't be saved proudly. Look at what the word says. It says God opposes the proud. It doesn't say that God is just neutral to people who are proud. It doesn't say God's just neutral to the self-righteous. It doesn't say God's neutral to the people who feel like they're holier than thou. It says that God opposes them. If you're going to be in the family of God, you have to humble yourself. You have to acknowledge your insufficiency. And then once you're in the family of God, guess what? You operate in how God's family operates. You don't call the shots. You say, I don't like the way the church is set up. Okay. There are times the church frustrates me too. But God has called me in his word to be a part of a local church. There are times I don't like God's plan for my life. That I'm confused about or don't understand it. Okay, but God calls me to trust him. It comes a point where we're going to say, are we going to trust in our own ability and pride or are we going to trust in the scriptures in humility? And it says that we clothe ourselves in humility and God gives more grace to us. What a powerful reminder of God's goodness, his grace, his love for those of us who have exacerbated all other options. We can't save ourselves. Instead, we come to him and give all into his care. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.